the Gerontological Society of America, Meaningful Lives as We Age. Welcome to this GSA Momentum Discussion Podcast episode titled Aging and Oral Health Research, Insights from the 2023 AADOCR Meeting Within a Meeting. GSA Momentum Discussions highlight topics experiencing great momentum in the field of gerontology. We are grateful to Halion for their support of this podcast episode. My name is Karen Tracy, and I am the Vice President for Strategic Alliances at the Gerontological Society of America, or GSA, and I am pleased to serve as the host for today's Momentum Discussion. I am so pleased to be joined today with Jane Weintraub, who is in the Department of Pediatric and Public Health at Adams School of Dentistry at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She's also the immediate past president of the American Association for Dental, Oral, and Craniofacial Research. Joining us is Carla Personoto, who is in the Division of Geriatrics School of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, and Riva Tauger-Decker, who is in the Diagnostic Sciences Unit of Rutgers School of Dental Medicine School of Health Professions at Rutgers State University of New Jersey. Welcome, Dr. Weintraub, Dr. Personotto, and Dr. Tauger-Decker. I'm so glad you could join me. In 2016, GSA began our oral health, an essential element of healthy aging. We observed that greater attention on older adults needed to be discussed. We produced several publications, conducted numerous webinars, and discussions at our annual scientific meeting. We've been advocating for greater access to oral care, and we've also made a commitment to work collaboratively all of our communities of interest who address issues in the care and research of older adult oral health. This is why we're here today. It's our relationship with AADOCR. As a research organization, we have members in both organizations. As the 2022-2023 president of AADOCR, you identified a gap in the oral health field, a lack of research related to oral health and the aging population. Can you tell the audience how you were able to address this gap? Sure, thank you. The American Association for Dental Research, AADR, expanded its name to the American Association for Dental, Oral, and Craniofacial Research, AADOCR, a few years ago as part of its Science First initiative to welcome new members and to dispel notions that we were only about teeth. Oral health research is much broader than that specific body part. It increasingly encompasses the integration of oral health with all aspects of health. As part of my sabbatical back in 2016, I had the privilege to spend a month at the National Institute of Dental and Craniofacial Research, the NIDCR, and learned about the new trans-NIH focus on geroscience. At this time, the initiative did not have much focus on oral health. I was inspired to switch my research focus from kids to older adults and draw attention to this gap. We know poor oral health can have a major impact on quality of life, and it can be a risk factor for or sequela of other health conditions. Yet, it has been too often overlooked. It's time to highlight these important connections. So thank you so much, Karen and the GSA, for this opportunity. We're happy to have you, Jane. I understand that AADOCR had a meeting within a meeting this past March. 
Can you discuss how this came about? Well, as part of our expanded name, we started a meeting within a meeting format during our annual meeting to focus on timely cutting edge areas of research and encourage collaborations between oral health researchers and those not currently engaged in oral health research. As AADOCR president, I selected the meeting within a meeting topic, GeroScience, Aging and Oral Health Research, to try to bring together experts on aging who are not DOC, that is dental, oral, and craniofacial researchers, to think about the oral health aspects of this process and inspire DOC researchers to include older adults as part of their study populations and research attention. I also knew about the United Nations Declaration of 2021 to 2030 at the UN Decade of Healthy Aging. A summary of the proceedings and discussion of the topics from the March Meeting Within a Meeting are being published in a special e-supplement of the Journal of Dental Research called Advances in Dental Research, and it will be available in late October or early November. This publication follows a special aging and oral health issue of the Journal of Dental Research that was published this past summer. You can see a YouTube video featuring the co-editors Bay Wu and Anna Paula Vieira and some of the authors on the IADR website, www.iadr.org slash JDR special issue is one word. Articles in that special issue span topics focused on research advances in many aspects of oral health for older people. These two IADR publications, along with the extensive information about the oral health of older adults in the 2021 NIH-NIDCR Oral Health in America report, Advances and Challenges, provide excellent sources of information and references for anyone interested in this topic. Jane, could you explain to us the overarching objectives for this meeting within a meeting? Sure. The meeting within a meeting had five objectives, so I'll list these five. One, provide a broad overview of the concept of geroscience, how it is connected to biological mechanisms of aging and aging-related disease, as well as how these associations impact health span, quality of life, and oral diseases. Two, to provide a holistic overview of social and behavioral aspects of aging, particularly related to loneliness, social isolation, tooth loss, nutrition, and cognitive decline. Three, propose research needed to improve the delivery of oral health care for aging populations. Four, encourage researchers who study aging to include oral health conditions and diseases. And five, to inspire dental, oral, and craniofacial researchers to study older adult populations. That is quite a robust set of objectives, Jane. Perhaps you can go a little bit deeper and provide us an overview of what happened during those three days. It was a jam-packed three sessions of information. The meeting within a meeting was organized to cover the whole translational research spectrum in three sessions, beginning with research illuminating biologic pathways, then behavioral and social aspects of aging and their effects on oral health and disease, and then research needed to improve the delivery of care among older adults. So I'll tell you about those three sessions. In session one, our first speaker, Dr. Matt Caberline, provided an overview of the concepts of geroscience and health span, defined as disease-free and functional health throughout life. 
scientists are now able to identify biologic processes called the hallmarks of aging that slow and delay the aging process and subsequently delay the onset and progression of multiple diseases, including oral conditions. The research goal is to target these precursor aging processes and develop interventions for early prevention approaches before various symptoms and diseases are detectable. This more holistic strategy has the potential for being more effective than current disease-specific approaches. Also in session one, speakers connected aging and oral health research. The common molecular mechanisms between oral cancer and aging were discussed, and research was presented that showed periodontal microflora as a potential factor in cognitive decline and Alzheimer's disease progression with clinical trials underway. Session two focused on behavioral and social science aspects of aging and their oral health significance. In her keynote presentation, in her keynote presentation, Dr. Carla Parisonotto provided evidence that loneliness and isolation have major health effects. These social conditions, along with poor oral health, tooth loss, and cognitive decline, could potentially affect healthy eating ability, avoidance of dining with others, and systemic health conditions in older adults. Research could help elucidate the directions and pathways connecting these seemingly disparate conditions. Dr. Parisonotto and Tauger Decker will share more about the significance of these processes shortly on this podcast. Also in session two, the relationship between poor oral health and poor cognitive function was discussed. Some studies show this relationship to be bidirectional. In some older age groups, the co-occurrence of diabetes and edentulism may accelerate the rate of cognitive decline. One can imagine a Venn diagram with three overlapping circles labeled tooth loss, cognitive decline, and social isolation with aging at the center of these circles. Areas where the circles overlap can reflect behaviors and medical conditions such as avoidance of social eating, poor diet and nutrition, periodontal disease and diabetes, and other comorbidities and disabilities. Session three focused on the delivery of oral care in different settings and the many barriers older adults face to access oral health care. Research is needed to identify and implement technology and effective strategies to improve access to dental care, including new delivery and financing mechanisms, workforce models, interprofessional provider education and collaborative practice, and the use of big data for medical dental integration with electronic health records. Also in session three, Dr. D'Souza, the director of the NIDCR, gave examples of NIH-funded research across the translational spectrum from basic mechanisms to dental practice-based research networks. The NIH has hosted several geroscience summits to advance research and research collaborations in this field, with the fourth held this past spring. Importantly, Dr. D'Souza said we need to bring benefits of geroscience to disadvantaged groups the people who need it most because they age the fastest, die youngest, and are unlikely to participate in clinical trials. I really like that statement that she made. Well, I was there, and it was amazing couple days. I was so incredibly impressed with the synergy of topics 
and the speakers. Jane, do you have any final thoughts to share with our listeners? Sure. Well, in summary, research to improve the oral health span, to reduce oral health disparities, and to increase health equity, all must be tackled at all levels, from the molecular and cellular to healthcare systems and health policies. The meeting within a meeting identified exciting areas of connection across different disciplines where multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary research can provide new insights and ways to approach enhancing longevity and health. For example, controlling inflammation, one of the hallmarks of aging, may lead to better oral health, which in turn may improve diet and nutritional status, which can increase social engagement and slow cognitive decline. We need to build on these connections. Appropriate measurements, documentation, and research are needed to provide evidence to support individual and system-level changes. We need data to monitor and assess progress towards improving the delivery of all health care for older adults. Changes will require many dimensions and sectors. Our collective research, expertise, and advocacy efforts are needed so we can all maintain good oral health as we age. Thank you, Jane. That was quite a wonderful summary of the three days in Portland, Oregon last March. Well, as Jane mentioned, there were many topics discussed during these three days. But for this podcast, we are hoping to delve into some of the behavioral and social aspects of aging and oral health, which at AADOCR focused on providing a holistic overview of these aspects including nutrition and cognitive decline and the relationship to oral disease. Dr. Parasonoto, you're invited by Jane to address the topic of addressing loneliness and isolation in older adults, a medical and public health perspective. Can you tell us a bit about your presentation? Um, Yes, thanks so much for having me. And I have to say that I was delighted to be invited because I think at first glance, people working in aging and perhaps people separately working in in dental research, you would not see the overlap. But at the more we delved into the session, we saw there's so much synergy and opportunity for our fields to work together. We all don't like to admit it, but we are all aging. And so this research really affects all of us. And you know, in many ways, we discriminate against ourselves when we don't think about researching of people who are aging. I chose to focus on loneliness and isolation because that has been my my research career is really seeing the effects of loneliness and isolation on health. And this really comes from my work as a geriatrician, seeing patients and realizing that in medical training and in current medical practice, we don't often delve into other aspects of people's lives that affect our health. And you know, this this presentation was based on a 2012 paper that I published that demonstrated that among adults who are over the age of 60, if you report any degree of loneliness, you have an increased risk of mortality and an increased risk of functional de- decline. And when you delve further into all of this, really across the health spectrum, and as Dr. Weintraub commented, it's really kind of a state of loneliness and chronic stress in our body that leads to inflammation, which leads to all the negative health outcomes. You look at all aspects of our health and body, be it cardiovascular disease, giving it oral health, cognitive impairment, all-cause mortality, loneliness and isolation are implicated. And it's very significant. And so what I talked about is that 
you know, the effects are so widespread that it is no longer okay for us as, as, as medical professionals to ignore what's going on. So much so that that is why our country surgeon general just published an advisory in May uh, of this year saying this is a public health issue that affects all of us at all ages and we need to focus on this. So I spent a good deal talking about the evidence behind the health effects, but then I turned to what do we do about it, which is always what we want to do. You know, as, as, as medical professionals, we want to fix things and we want to fix things right away. We don't always accept, want to accept that things take time and that it's not always an easy solution. And so I presented some work that my colleague, Julianne Holt-Lenstedt and I wrote about in the New England Journal of Medicine, where we proposed a framework for addressing loneliness and isolation or social connection more broadly in clinical settings. And we what we proposed in a, is a framework called EAR, E-A-R, kind of the idea of a listening ear in that when someone is lonely or isolated, that's actually the first step is stopping and listening. And the, the E is to educate. And what we mean by this is that as, as a first pass, and this is a basic public health tenant and a basic principle, is that we need to educate. And that means educating our patients on the importance of social connection and the risks of loneliness and isolation. The second part of the framework is the A, which is assessment, which means that we need to actually assess whether someone is lonely or isolated using validated measures. Now, there's more concordance on what to use for assessing loneliness. There's a little bit more discordance with what to use for isolation. But across the board, regardless of how you you choose what questions you choose to ask. We know that there are health effects. And so it's just important that we ask the questions and we assess in clinical practice. And then the last part is the R, which is respond. And we very purposely chose respond instead of refer, because very often when medical doctors specifically find that there's something that they don't know what to do, they just refer, <laughs> just send it to someone else to deal with. And sometimes that's needed. But another part of that in my job as a clinician is responding is just saying, I hear you. I am hearing and acknowledging that you're experiencing loneliness and isolation, and I want to acknowledge that that's affecting your health. We need to unpack that a little bit and figure out what's driving it. So the respond is really about what do we do next? And so I talked a little bit about emerging evidence, but also recognizing that there's more we need to do and, and more places to go. So a lot there, but that's really what we focused on during this session. I just love the educate assessment and respond. I think it makes it so much easier to understand what your steps are that you need to employ. Thank you. Well, Dr. Talger Decker, you were also invited by Dr. Weintraub to participate in the meeting. And the topic she asked you to address was oral health and nutrition in aging. Can you tell us a bit about what you spoke to the attendees about? Certainly. And thank you for inviting me to this podcast and for inviting me to participate in the session. I've been looking at tooth loss or replacement and nutrition status in older adults for probably a good part of my career at our dental school because when I first entered the area, nutrition and oral health was not something people studied much and not something people discussed and not something dentists got educated on. So we started the whole concept of interprofessional education rather early. Nutrition risk factors in aging are multifaceted. We have to consider the physiological, the socioeconomic ones, the psychological ones, which Dr. Pesimoto just brought up, the neurologic ones, and the functional factors, which individually and combined negatively affect appetite, diet, and ultimately nutrition status and oral health. Concurrently, oral dysfunction, whether it's pain and tooth loss, whether it's hyposalivation or replacement with dentures, can cause difficulty biting, chewing, and swallowing. We can see sensory and soft tissue changes, like reduced saliva, xerostomia, and altered taste, which could be due to medications or other comorbid conditions. 
that difficulty eating in turn changes diet and nutrient intake. As a result, we see more social isolation, which leads into exactly what we just heard about, diet restrictions that may occur due to chronic diseases, let alone the impact of cognitive decline, and economic functions can all compound those alterations in diet and nutrition status. These negative impacts on lifestyle, nutrition status, and eating-related quality of life increase our risk for malnutrition. And our research has shown that malnutrition risk increases in the presence of oral dysfunction. Almost all of my research in this area has been with my colleague, Dr. Rena Zellig, where we've demonstrated that older adults who are either fully edentulous or without functional dentition are at a significantly greater risk for malnutrition than those with teeth or functional dentition. Did one study where we found that after controlling for comorbid conditions, the odds of malnutrition were 46% lower for those with functional dentition. And every additional unit increase in the number of teeth was associated with a 3% lower odds of being at risk or having malnutrition. Those older adults with chewing problems are at almost twice the risk of malnutrition than those without. Not all patients are going to get dentures and certainly not be able to afford implants. That tooth loss in turn then impacts eating-related quality of life. One of our studies, in one of our studies, we looked at older adults with tooth loss and how that impacted their socialization and eating-related quality of life. Those with tooth loss develop adaptive and maladaptive behaviors. Adaptive behaviors are they go out, but they eat beforehand, or they go to restaurants where they know they can eat the food. The maladaptive ones are very often those that increase social isolation because they don't go out, or they go out and they don't eat, or they avoid certain foods. There is limited research on how we can reduce oral dysfunction. How do we solve the problem? How do we reduce oral dysfunction, improve eating-related quality of life, and, older, and nutrition status in this population? Because every time we further impact one, it impacts the other two, and we end up in a vicious cycle. We need to stop functioning in silos and work together as registered dietitians, nutritionists, with oral health professionals, with geriatricians, and others to treat patients, older adults, with tooth loss. That is wonderful. Jane, do you want to step in and ask some questions here? Well, I really like that last comment that you made about how each of us in our different professions have traditionally worked in silos, but now here we are in the same program and we were at the same meeting and you're a registered dietitian nutritionist doing research and Carla's a geriatrician, I'm a public health dentist, and we found so many connections among the work that we're doing in oral health, nutrition, and loneliness and social isolation, that it really um, makes the point that we need to develop these connections and learn about how we can work more together. So I think this is just you know really exciting. Thank you, Jane. I, I think listening to Carla's presentation and my own and your words, we see how that if we can if dentists can work with dietitian, nutritionists, and physicians in the area and listen and understand each other, we can learn how to work together to treat these patients rather than constantly referring them out and them never getting the treatment they need. We need to work together to do research to say, how do we treat the patients who may never get dentures? 
who are going to live their lives with two claws, either because of preference or because of economic. So we need to have clinicians who can treat together, but also researchers who can jointly research the area. As clinicians, dentists need to ask patients about loneliness and social isolation. They need to ask about if they're having trouble eating or if they're avoiding eating certain foods or avoiding eating with other people. These are important things that we can add to our protocols. And same thing with your profession, to ask people about their oral health. When was the last time they went to a dentist? Do they their gums bleed when they brush their teeth? Do they have a toothache? If you just ask, you know, those three questions, you can go a long way to find out what their oral health needs are. And just to add to this, this is reminding me of, I just had a mentorship meeting with a, with a young new faculty and she said, you know, what do I do to move forward to advance my career? And participating in this conference is an example of what I told her to do. I said, expand outside of your circle, expand outside your discipline. And I was so lucky to be amongst your group because I have been aware of the health effects of loneliness and isolation. And it was no surprise in some ways that oral health was a part of that. But I actually hadn't really thought about the idea that poor oral health was making people more isolated because of the embarrassment, um, Dr. Dugger Decker, that you talked about. You know, it's obvious, but, but, you know, I hadn't stopped to think about that. And again, if I only stuck in my little circle and only hung out with other geriatricians, I may not realize the full landscape of research potential, but ultimately what this causes for our patients and their lives. And you know, a big part of this also, which is probably in, in need of a of another session at another time, is policy implications. I think the mm-hmm. idea that dentures are not covered and how expensive oral care can be, it's really thinking more broadly, again, about how do we address this at a national level. It's especially an issue because Medicare does not cover routine dental services. That's exactly right. And, and in that same vein, unless you have diabetes or kidney disease, Medicare does not cover seeing a registered dietitian nutritionist. So, it, it falls on the primary care physician with all the exactly. time that we have. That's what we've Exactly, been with your seven minutes per patient. Correct, but yes. I, I think it's all of us asking about those features. When I moved into the oral health arena, which is when I did my dissertation research, I realized how can dietitians never looked in mouths? How didn't we know how to do that type of physical exam? But then when I started working in the dental school, I realize how don't dentists ask about diet? So it's really looking at the synergy between the two and saying, how do we work together and involve physicians so that we're all working in synchrony with each other? In in the end, that will cut down on the amount of individual care time, likely on the number of individual appointments because patients are getting better treatment. Well, Dr. Weintraub, Dr. Persinoto, and Dr. Taggart-Decker, thank you for joining me and sharing all that you and your colleagues are doing for oral health research with older adults. Your commitment, expertise, and passion was apparent from our discussion today, and we were honored to have you on our podcast. You know, today we learned that the synergies with all disciplines is essential from a research perspective, from an advocacy perspective, and to a practice perspective in order to improve oral health, our oral health span. Thank you also to those listening to this episode of the GSA Momentum Discussion Podcast. We hope you found it informative and enjoyable. GSA has a section on our website with numerous resources on oral health. It's at www.geron.org slash oral health. 
This momentum discussion will be in this section of our website along with a transcript. And the Journal of Dental Research Special E-Supplement called Advances in Dental Research will be available soon and we'll include that link on our site as well. And the special Aging and Oral Health issue published by this past summer will also have a link on this page. Thank you very much and stay well. To learn more about the Gerontological Society of America, visit geron.org. The Gerontological Society of America was founded in 1945 to promote the scientific study of aging, cultivate excellence in interdisciplinary aging research, and education to advance innovations in practice and policy. For more information about GSA, visit geron.org.